0: What's the password? Hmm. Welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Brought to you by the record button.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Come on in and grab a drink from Grognack today's bartender, take a seat by the ever-burning hearth, and relax as we talk to you about tabletop role-playing games. Sometimes we touch on other stuff, but mostly tabletop role-playing games. I'm your host, Cody. And I'm Lance. Who is also your other host. And today <laughs> we're going to be talking about uh, how to build character, or, uh, you know, building characters, both for players and game masters. But first... Something new, or at least new to us. What do you got? Uh, So starting number one is the Dark Archive book for Pathfinder 2. I've got the release date. Uh, The release date's been out, but I want to talk about this product just a little bit. Okay, It's coming out in July, and I expect we will use the content in it to great effect. Uh, July of 2022, the current year that we are currently airing this episode. But you in particular, because of your your level 16 witch mm-hmm. uh, warlock hat, what have you, uh, who has transitioned from five E, you might be able to find some use out of this book. Uh, Dark archive is going to have two new classes. It's going to have the psychic uh, and then it's going to have, um, Oh God, I forget the other one, but it uses, uh, I can tell you all about the other class It you, it's like a kind of like a, a monster hunter type. I think it might just called, be called the occultist. Now that I'm thinking about it, but it uses uh, it's like it's like rather than casting spells, they collect trinkets and artifacts and things to use hmm. to power. Like one of the core abilities of the class is you pick uh, one to three over the course of leveling up special relics that do different things. Like one of them is like a special goblet if, that you pick if you want to be focus on being a healer okay. because you can let people take a sip from the goblet to heal a little bit or you can like fully down the contents of the goblet for a once per day special effect or something like that I remember reading the playtest for these classes. So
0: supportish class.
1: Well, it that depends. If you pick the weapon as your relic, oh, okay. now you're suddenly very offensive. Gotcha. So there's that kind of is where your subclass or your specializations mm-hmm. come from is which relics you pick. But the whole class, at least in the playtest, you were trained in all four of the magical knowledge skills: uh, Arcana, Occultism, Religion, because the whole class has a lot of mechanics about recalling knowledge and then getting bonus damage against that creature okay yeah so it, and then the psychic is all about using psychic powers and mechanically actually f- kind of fits the the warlock okay from 5e because it's at least in the playtest version which could be very different than the mm-hmm. final product in dark archive uh they had a lot of like amped cantrips using their x ex- using their focus points mm-hmm. to cast beefy versions of existing cantrips or uh doing special uh, abilities okay and then uh
0: kind of be a better pairing for my witch than uh, Oracle.
1: Maybe. We'll see. Uh but in the meantime, we'll make do with what we got. But also other things include and this is these are the bullet points. Strange cryptid Strange Cryptids glimpsed in the night, geared to track them and the powers you might gain by surviving an encounter with one. Which is very interesting. What's a cryptid? Uh you know, well a cryptid is like uh, for example, in the real world, like Sasquatch is a cryptid. Oh, okay. okay. You know, you've got the Jersey Devil is a Urban cryptid. Urban legends. Yeah, or like like legendary dark cultish okay. creatures. That is what a cryptid is. So imagine like having an encounter with Sasquatch, surviving, and then being able like to pick up a car or something because that is what, that's what i when i read that bullet point that's, that's what i what imagine you think. or you know or you or an encounter with mothman and you get a future sight or something like that and yeah, we'll talk about our encounter with mothman later uh cults and esoteric belief in apocryphal divine magic uh and the secret of here listen to this one and the secret of becoming a living vessel for an eldritch being Okay, that sounds like Aram's
0: exact job.
1: Yep, that's that's exactly what would be right up your warlock's alley. I would I would go with that. Temporal anomalies with archetypes that skim along the surface of time and a new mystery for oracles unbound from causality. So there you go, Paizo. There's some free advertising. <laughs> uh, I uh, this book will come out in July. It's which I assume late July, whenever Gen Con is. This mm-hmm. is going to be the big Gen Con. Are we doing Gen Con like in you know? For real this year, or they they still doing it remotely. Um, I think they're I think they might be doing it for realsies. Ooh. Uh, I you know what they might have done it for realzies last year. I don't remember. I thought they were doing it remotely again last year, but I were could they? be wrong. Okay. I, I could be wrong. Should we try to go?
0: I mean, if it's if they're gonna have it for realsies, I'd I'd like to go. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a. Lot we could of do fun. an entire episode about the things that we saw and did at Gen Con. For
1: those who don't know, Gen Con is the world's largest uh, tabletop convention and not just role-playing games. Board games I think dominated like forty percent of the table space. Uh it's also trading card games. I remember Fantasy Flight games had a pretty big booth for both uh Legend of the Five Rings and uh other things. But there was a pretty big Legend of the Five Rings uh area. I remember seeing some Warhammer. Well I liked that, but demoed a lot of board games. It's like Shangri-La for tabletop nerds. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Uh, the other bit of news I had: we've talked about N-Worlds, uh, N-World being uh, nworld.org, which is a forum and news site for tabletop role-playing games. They usually do. We talked about their top 10. Most anticipated games of 2022, and I just want to run through the list. Rum roll. Yeah. So number 10 is Werewolf the Apocalypse 5th Edition. Okay. This is the werewolf version of Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah,
0: I've, I've dabbled a little bit. I mean, you know, I haven't played any of it, but I did have an old edition of, uh, of Vampire. I knew that the, um, what do they call it? The uh, something World. World of Darkness, maybe? Yeah, World of Darkness. Like, that's uh, like a collection of different settings all in the same universe werewolf vampire i think they did one with demons mage the ascension yeah, mage the ascension. Uh, i
1: actually am most interested in major the ascension just because i've heard the way they handle magic is awesome
0: is it yeah might be worth looking into i mean they've got yeah. they, they've definitely got a, a good history of good work and i mean everybody's kind of familiar with with
1: that setting yeah,
0: at least absolutely. familiar with the
1: existence of their products uh we've got number nine swords of the serpentine from Pellegrain Press, which is a sword and sorcery game of daring heroism, uh, fantasy city rife with skullduggery and death. It's, uh, I I think like, it, I like skullduggery. They, they use, uh, they, they say, they talk about Gumshoe, uh, which is another role-playing game, so I'm, I'm assuming that this is probably the same company that made Gumshoe, maybe? Uh, or maybe they're just referring to Gumshoe as the genre. But Gumshoe Investigative Role-Playing System creates a fantasy RPG with a focus on high-action role-playing and investigation. Uh swords the same the same thing was actually number six in 2020 uh number eight is cyborg uh stockholm cartel it's a nano-infested doomday rpg about cybernetic punks and misfits raging against a relentless corporate hell it's a Morkborg borg hack by christian Solin. i'm going to murder these names and johan Noor of stockholm cartel number seven oh do you have
0: any no i was just going to say that sounds really awesome it does. It sounds <laughs> like awesome. Cyberpunk apocalypse. Yeah. I'm, I'm in.
1: Yeah, uh, just the just the theme screams mm-hmm. badass. If nothing
0: else, the setting sounds fun. Yeah, sounds
1: wonderful. We got Shadow of the Weird Wizard by Schwab Entertainment, which is just. A family-friendly remake of Shadows of the Demon Lord. So, if you want to introduce your your younguns to gaming, this would be a good product to, get, to go to. You do not want to introduce your younguns to Shadow of the Demon Lord. It's a very R-rated. I would say
0: not great for your kids unless they're really mature and you're comfortable with that. But uh... yeah,
1: your your uh, your young teenagers that are that have already been you know they're breaking into the R-rated. You let your <laughs> you let your teenager go to R-rated movies. The ones that-,
0: that life has beat up just enough that they're comfortable with a little
1: little darkness. (laughs) hello darkness my (laughs) old friend all right so next at number six we got rivers of london by chaosium uh which is i don't really know a whole lot about it but it's based on uh some novels by a uh, by a guy named ben haranovich aranovich like aaron like the like aaron Aaron Ovich. <laughs> okay. So I think that's Aranovich. I- I'm going to go with it. Right. Aranovich. And powered by a customized version of the basic role-playing system. Uh, basically, it's a like an ordinary constable turned uh, mage guy, and he's solving crimes across London. Uh, and it's got basically urban fantasy. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. kind of Like urban fantasy thriller kind of thing going on using the basic role-playing system. Uh, number five, which is my number one, is uh, Mothership First Edition by Tuesday Night Games. We've talked a little bit about this, we, yeah, We've talked about Mothership a couple times. This is the full first edition. Uh, they have a zero edition out essentially, mm-hmm. but this is going to have a big rules update, and it's going to be the first version of the game that has the uh, the triad essentially of the three rule books. Okay, so you've got your you're the Game Master, now, or this, the was player. The,
0: this was the sci fi horror one, right? sci fi horror, okay,
1: yeah. Uh, so it's going to have your what is essentially a Game Master's Guide, a player's handbook, and a monster book, essentially, all all at once. And I am really looking forward to playing that system. Might run a small campaign. I, not, not just a test trial, mm, but actually run I, it. I, me, I'm a big fan of horror settings, period. And sci-fi horror is one of my favorites, so. Uh, as we talked about last episode, number four, Avatar Legends is the official name of it. Okay. Avatar Legends by Magpie Games. Uh, if you listened to last episode, you already know all about it, but... It's the Avatar The Last Airbender, Avatar Legend of Korra RPG. I have looked into a little bit more of it, and uh, I think one of the coolest things is that incur- it encourages you to play, you like pick an era of the timeline. Uh, you know, I was going to ask in. about
0: the eras and the timelines, because if they did kind of the last Airbenders era, then Air- Airbenders wouldn't really even be an option for play. I mean, you'd only have the three different bending types.
1: I think it would be cool to play during the 100-year war. That would, be, that would be, cool. be my that would be my first choice. Uh, we've got do you, do you know what Pendragon is? Like uh like King Arthur. Well yeah, but there so you're on the right track. There is a there is a game called Pendragon, mm-hmm. and it is a King Arthur-esque tabletop role-playing game. And the sixth edition is uh, number three on this list. Okay. It is a new edition of the Pendragon RPG. Uh, the intention of this series of design journals by Pendragon, blah, 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 uh, it's starting, blah, 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 blah. It's basically just okay, the only thing I can gather is that it's a new edition of Pendragon. But what I do know about Trent Pendragon is that it really pulls in, uh, from what I have read about it so far, the other aspects of being a knight aside from just ride into battlefield, attack enemy. Right, there's actual chivalric codes, mm-hmm. There's you've got your roundtable discussions, there's probably a lot more intrigue involved. And yeah, I mean, if
0: you just needed people murdered, you could hire mercenaries for stuff like that. Knights had an actual role in society. That's right. That was far deeper than just poking things with swords. Yes. Although they did some of that, too.
1: They did, they did some of that. Uh, we've got, at number two, Broken Tales by The World anvil publishing you belong to the players belong to a to the order which is a secret group operating on behalf of the papacy uh basically it's uh, if you've ever seen like helsing the anime mm-hmm. or or them or read the manga which is like the the church has yeah, a vampire the, the, the scary organization down. yeah they they have basically you're hunting uh it's it's kind of like hunting down fairy tales, and it's got a it's basically a dark horror fairy tale mm-hmm. working for a secret order of the papacy okay. kind of kind of game, which uh, I think you know you you, worry, <laughs> you go and hunt down a twisted big bad wolf who's been blown <laughs> down entire city blocks. Maybe all right, I'm into it. That's that's my first idea to run a game in, uh, but I've also been rereading the Fables comic recently mm-hmm. as well, so maybe that's why I find uh, that to be particularly exciting. And then last. Is a licensed sci-fi tabletop RPG. Can you take a guess at which Ridley Scott franchise it is? I'm not going with Aliens on this because we've already got one of those games. Yeah, what else is what else is Ridley Scott made? Prometheus. Uh, well, Prometheus is alien adjacent. That's right? true. Um... Blade Runner. Oh, yeah, we did talk about that, didn't we? Yep. That is the number one most anticipated, according to this poll, uh, RPG. And do you know who is making it? Free League Publishing. Okay. No, another one from Free League Publishing. <laughs> they guys have been busy. Very busy. They, are, they just knock them out of the park. But... Uh, Free League Publishing is making the official Blade Runner RPG that will propel players into the streets of Los Angeles as Blade Runners with unique special abilities, personalities, and memories. Uh I would be ex- super excited to that to, I, to play I, this. I'm game. the kind of person that can't get enough of like the cyberpunk setting. Yeah, that's that you you and uh more you like cyberpunk and you like more hard sci-fi. Yeah. Yep.
0: But, I mean, it, it, I, I'm sure my bias comes from the fact that my first ever tabletop game was Shadowrun. Definitely. Which is, you know, cyberpunk plus fantasy elements. So, yeah, for me, and for me, the cyberpunk part of that game was always my favorite part of it anyway. Most of my characters are humans with cyberware. That's
1: so. totally agreeable. Uh, now, that said, what are we drinking today? Um,
0: well, much like last episode, I brought something homemade. Um, this is actually a, uh, a jar of homemade um, mead. Very, very basic mead recipe. It is champagne yeast, distilled water, and honey.
1: Yep. That's it. And, and it, is... it, it
0: eventually turned into alcohol, given enough time and <laughs> space, it, like space it, to, to do stuff.
1: Honestly, as, as the person sitting here drinking it who didn't make it, if I close my eyes and I take a sip, which I'm about to do right now, I just picture, if I was going to drink liquid honey that had a little bit of alcohol in it, uh... Well, actually, I don't know what the alcohol content would be, but the a little bit of alcohol taste in mm-hmm. it.
0: Uh, that's just that's what it tastes like. I mean, it's got champagne yeast in it, so your average yeah. champagne's what eighteen percent? Or am I way overestimating the amount of juice in the?
1: Honestly, beats me. <laughs>
0: okay, well, <laughs> whatever you're getting for your your alcohol content in your average champagne is what this stuff's coming out as. Yeah.
1: It's pretty tasty, though. I like it. Well, good. I would recommend. Home-brewing mead. <laughs> All right. So, that said, let's build character. Let's talk about building characters All right. in our, in tabletop RPGs. This is the meat and potatoes of this episode. The, uh... Character creation. The flesh on the bones. Character creation, not just for the players, but also mm-hmm. for the game masters, yep. or vice versa. Uh, let's start with players, though. Okay. Um, we discussed this kind of a little bit in the player
0: responsibilities in the last episode, but, uh... Setting, 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 and setting.
1: Setting. Uh, <laughs> and what you mean by that is take into account the world that you're
0: playing yeah, in. Make right? a character appropriate to the universe that you are playing in. That's very important. That's going to be very important for for the GM to write stories that that give your character that that spotlight and that fifteen minutes of fame. Yep. If you're if you are a uh, you know square peg that just does not fit in the round hole of the setting, it's going to be considerably more difficult.
1: Have you have you ever seen that that TikTok or that that little short video where, where he see
0: like the one hole he can just angle and it and everything, drop everything? It goes in, there. in the
1: square hole. Yeah. No. 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 The, the
0: lady's watching him, and she's getting more and more angry every time he drops
1: it in the same square hole. It's great. <laughs> just physically anxious. Um. <laughs> uh, what? But that's a good point. You even if even if you can put the round peg in the square hole, you should seek not to. Yeah. Uh. You should ask your dungeon master or game master, uh, about what type of game they're going to be playing. Game masters, think about this ahead of time and let your group know. Yeah, I mean, if if you're
0: a game master and you're about to start a new campaign, before you really even pull the players into it, probably a good idea to have a a decent grasp on the setting that you're running. And the kind of subsetting to that, a good example would be our Pathfinder campaign. Our subsetting is piracy. Yes. (laughs) Like we are, we're doing a lot of, a lot of, like, kind of Goonies-style pirate adventure Yeah, that's a, like, good,
1: that's, a good, uh, that's a good Well, it, it kind
0: of got Goonies for me when we, we decided we had to go raid the temple to empower this gemstone thing.
1: Hey, you guys!
0: But that's, I mean, that is the setting, so...
1: If you haven't ever seen Goonies, go watch the Goonies. Yeah, I, I,
0: I don't know what's, I, I don't know what went wrong with your childhood if you haven't seen that movie, but well, it's, it's go do it. now. So? My <laughs> ki- listen, my kid's seen Goonies a couple of times. He knows the whole shtick. Because, Does he
1: like it, though? That's yeah. I'm, I'm serious, because, yeah. you know, some yeah. people, you got a young generation of people who some of their favorite Star Wars movies are the prequels. Yeah, I mean, that's true. <laughs> So you never know, Goonies might yeah. not hold up to current no, tastes. No, he, he does pretty well. Like when it comes to movies
0: and stuff like that that I introduced him to from, from my childhood. So that's that's good. That's good. But yeah, I mean, so know the setting. Obviously, we're playing. You know, we're playing a, a Pathfinder game, so it is going to be a fantasy setting. But the subsetting to that is even a little bit deeper in so much as it, it's a little bit of high seas piracy and stuff like that. You know, so make sure that you make a character that fits into that role, because even a character that you could availably play in a fantasy setting may not fit particularly well in this particular subset of a fantasy setting. You know, you don't want a lawful good paladin paladin around with a bunch of pirates. No, you don't. You're going to have conflict. That's going to be a problem right out of the gate. So what
1: you're saying is you should work with your other players. And your GM. And your GM. To ensure...
0: That, that your character is setting appropriate. Yes. Yes, I think that, that is an absolute necessity.
1: Let's talk about edgy, dark lone wolves. I feel like we're picking on Aram again. No, 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 because Aram, <laughs> Aram is the good way to do it. Aram, Aram learned to get along with everybody That's else. That's the thing. Uh, for people that are going to be playing a player character, don't make an uncooperative, edgy lone wolf in a game that is cooperative storytelling. That's, no, that's very true. And
0: I mean, I, I, I won't, I won't bag on anybody for doing it because I think we've all kind of either had made that mistake or had a a you, desire to make that mistake because you get this cool character concept in mind and you're like, yeah, this guy's, he's again, edgy lone wolf type. But what you do have to realize is that this is, uh, this is this is a team effort. It's a buddy comedy. You're gonna have you're gonna have other people that you have to interact with, and being the edge lord is not usually conducive to that mechanic.
1: Look, man, I, I, I balance all my combat encounters for six people. So if you end up going off on your own, good <laughs> good gosh dang luck to you, sir. Yup. Yeah. Uh, what else? How about this? What do you think is uh? What should you worry about first? Character concept or the stats on the page? I think that is entirely dependent upon the type of game that you are
0: playing. Do go on. Okay. For example, there are some games that require you to roll stats or roll them in order, or specifically, like the the, the way that your character's stats are bulked out is done in some kind of random-ish manner.
1: And by stats, you mean the character's strength, yep. dexterity, mm-hmm. uh, and intellect, and yep. wisdom, charisma, whatever, whatever. Traits or attributes. I mean, ju- are given to your just character. to take a
0: recent example, we have started kind of poking around in the uh, Call of Cthulhu books because we've never played yep actual Chaosium published yep. Sandy Peterson Call of Cthulhu. Before. I mean, we, well, technically, I think they had a hand in publishing the uh, Savage Worlds conversion that we did play in, but, but that's the Savage World. Yeah, system. but this is the this is the official stuff that we're talking about. And uh, for example, the character creation system there—you roll your stats in order.
1: Yeah. So that means. For example in in seventh uh, edition call of cthulhu when you go to find out your character's strength you roll 3d6 three six-sided die and uh add up them add the total and then multiply that total by five so if by some freak accident uh you roll like a a two a one and a three that's going to be a 30 in your strength stat which is not Great. Not great for a brute character, especially. 50 in that game is considered average human. So if you went into character creation thinking, I'm going to make a boxer Mm -hmm. who is a, a very physically fit bodyguard, and you roll garbage stats, then suddenly your character concept is hindered. Yeah, in a system like that, my personal suggestion
0: is either have a handful of character concepts in mind, or go into it with zero character concepts in mind. Yeah. And then build that concept around your stats because if you if you start and you think I am going to make this really cool archaeologist character, which obviously you're going to want to go heavy on the mental stats for that, and then you roll the stats and the guy's, you know, basically rocking a potato brain. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden that entire concept just goes out the window. If you go through it with an open mind, you roll the stats and you say, "Okay, given the stat loadout that I have in front of me, what kind of characters would fit that role?" That might make it a little bit easier for you.
1: Yeah, and yeah. Uh, if you end up with a character with potato brain, at least try to put some uh, butter and sour cream on there, yeah. right?
0: Little, little chives.
1: Yeah, add some bacon. You can still flavor your, your potato mm-hmm. brain character.
0: That's true. <laughs> um, on the other hand, there are other systems that are, are either less rigid when it comes to stats or more, at least more flexible for, for your assignments. Yeah. Um, fifth edition or or pathfinder are ones that are very similar in that regard because you you pick your race and your race has certain stats to it and you
1: ancestry
0: p- ancestry that's what we're calling you pick your ancestry <laughs> um you pick your ancestry and you get certain stats based on that and then your background you get certain stats based on that well you have the flexibility to make those choices and chances are if you're char- making a character that is going for brute strength The ancestry and the background you're going to pick are going to reflect that anyway. So you're already kind of leaning in that direction and you have that measure of control. A game like Shadowrun where you just assign your stats as needed... You know, it's the same story. Okay, if I want to make a Cyber Ninja in Shadowrun, I know that I
1: have to lean into to my character's quickness stat. I know I have to lean into the reflexes. And there's a mathematical system that you work through to support mm-hmm. building your cyber ninja. You don't have to worry that you're gonna roll up poor dexterity. Yeah, or so in, or in a system that generates more random stat arrays,
0: it's almost better to go into it with a with a more open mind and kind of build the character around the stats. In a system where that's not the case, it's a lot easier to go in with a character concept and build your stats around the character concept.
1: Now, what makes... Now, this is going to be applicable to both... I'm going to try and fish for an answer here. All right. Uh, For both player characters and non-player characters, which... uh, Oh, i got to say, one of my coworkers at work when he wants to make fun of someone lately he, he keeps calling them uh, an npc yeah no, like, that's, he'll, that's, he'll point at people and be like look at that guy what an
0: npc well, that's been an internet meme for a while for has people, it i've for, been missing out on basically it, it is it is a catch-all term for people that don't think for themselves <laughs> oh right if right, you, if you are masters. willing to yeah if you're willing to just just float along and, and do whatever you're told based <laughs> on you know whatever whatever the projected narrative the person calling them an npc you're just listening to jay a...
1: jonah jameson's rants and you yeah. believe spider-man yeah. is the spider-man's
0: the bad guy because j jonah jameson (laughs) said so and you're not willing to think for yourself you're an npc which is just a term that they ripped off of gaming so which
1: (laughs) is funny yeah uh so to be both applicable to both player characters and npcs um i'm going to ask you lance what makes a good character for role-playing r-o-l-e this is a role-playing game what makes a good character personality and backstory okay what what components make up a personality um
0: background information i mean it, you, you kind of have to weird as it sounds is you know build your character from childhood to whatever their existing age is it, not not in great overbearing amounts of details. as a matter of fact it's kind of nice to leave a little wiggle room in there because then, you know, you can work with the GM to add stuff as the story goes on that helps, helps that. But, I mean, you know, if, if you're making a character that has a certain, you know, dislike of a certain group, you
1: need to go back through his backstory and explain why. I agree. That's fun. That's, it, uh, it, it's not the answer I was looking for, but keep going. Um, so well, I, what what I, was I, the you, answer
0: you were looking for? No,
1: uh, <laughs> the answer I was looking for is motivations goals if you know what your character wants to accomplish whether it be a player character or an NPC then you can figure out how they would act mm-hmm. um, it's it's very true I want to nail that home for game masters yeah, that oh, yeah. If, if you want uh, if you want your NPCs to be interesting they should have motivations whether or not the players know about them -hmm Right. So uh, it's,
0: it's best to build an NPC with like an end game in mind. Yeah. And then think of that like a river and the players are just rocks being thrown in that river. And then that 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 NPC has to figure out how to flow around those players to get to that end goal.
1: Yeah. So you've got you maybe you've got uh, maybe you've got John the fisherman mm-hmm. and he but he has the goal of eventually saving up enough money or maybe he has the goal of getting enough money at any cost to save up to move to a new city Mm -hmm. then he sees these adventurers and they're toting around a big big bulging coin sack right there just flaunting it you might think John the Fisherman's getting a little uh, sticky fingered or something like that or or he might find a way to fleece the players or
0: yeah yeah or he might be able to he might be willing to sell out the players to a big bad in order to uh to get that cheddar
1: right, or if you have that same NPC, but instead of motivations being driven by greed and money, his motivations are uh, he wants to be generous and help people, then now he's just like, Hey, strange traveler, you want to try a free sample of my fish? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're looking for information? <laughs> the mayor's office is down there. Yeah, well, I if happen you... to hear some guys over by the dock talking about just that thing the other day, right? If you know how what you're if you know the things that your character wants to get, whether it is Accomplished goals or physical possessions, then that gives you all the clues you need to really make decisions inside of that character's head instead of your own. Which, that really comes, because one of the things about building
0: NPCs is, as a game master, you know, for your, your big bads and their lieutenants and stuff like that and the major plot point characters, it's really important to give them a thorough fleshing out. But if you're just talking about the local fishmonger, you don't want to spend a lot of time making that dude super real. So if you can nail down just that character's motivations, that gives you enough to work with to get the players engaged and oh, to yeah. have that character interact with the players without having to go through and write his childhood and name his parents and determine whether or not he's got you know two and a half kids and a dog in a shack just down the road. Oh, yeah. You know, As long as you know his motivations, that stuff you can kind of do on the fly if you have to.
1: And what you just talked down there, that's kind of like the difference between like a one-dimensional character Mm -hmm. or a three-dimensional character, right? And uh, here's my question to you. Do you think you can have a good one-dimensional player character? A good one-dimensional player character? Yes. No. uh, Really? Because I'm going to give you, um, if you're here very shortly, I'm going to give you a real good example. So think about player characters that have been what might be considered one-trick ponies. Okay, because that's that's very that's kind of what one-dimensional characters are. And uh,
0: yeah, you know, I I, I guess that does. When, when I
1: say like when I put it like mm. that, does that change your mind? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, as as a matter of fact, even even
0: the I don't know if I like to use the term one-dimensional, but there there can be player characters that are kind of puddle-depth, that are kind of puddle-deep. That's what one-dimensional is. But that that doesn't mean that they're bad characters. No, I mean, sometimes when you're talking about movies and stories, you will have that one-dimensional character, and he might just be there for comedy relief, but he brings about an entire new element of fun yeah, to, whether, to whether the story. Yeah, whether it's
1: lines of dialogue or the uh-huh. delivery, sometimes these one-dimensional characters can steal the scene or the show. That's true. My, my number one example of this is Hung. <laughs> yeah. Hung will always make trouble. Hung will always steal things. Hung will always punch his way out of problems. That's true. Th- through the entire first iteration of this character, none of these things Ever changed? No, that's true. But he is still one of our most beloved that's, that's, and favorite characters. That, is true. that we have ever had in our tabletop games. Yeah,
0: I, I can't disagree with that. Hung exactly. Has always, Hung has always been fun. He's been fun to game master. He's been fun to play as a, a player character alongside. I, if you're the game master
1: of a of a chaotic uh, character like Hung so low, you have to stay on your toes.
0: That's no, that's very true. Or else your
1: NPCs start losing their heads. <laughs> So yes, talk uh,
0: about the city of Lost Angels incident.
1: But whether or not your character is one or three dimensional, um, you know, you a three dimensional character has uh, more depth to them. To go back to your puddle analysis, Mm -hmm. you know, they they have. You can your your one dimensional character can also have wants and goals, but they're usually um, they're they're less they're they're often material. Uh, They are. Quick and easy to accrue. Well,
0: I mean, that, that's a good con or, uh, contrast between, say, Aram and Bog. Yeah, like Aram has very deep motivations. He has very long running plans. He's a schemer.
1: He's a schemer, and he's also had uh, the capacity to change. Right, mm-hmm. like now he has a son that he cares about. Yep. Right, whereas uh, Captain hung so low the, that that. Uh, that uh, that sex worker back in in the in New Shanfan that he was frequenting—if he has a kid—oh, sorry, sorry, kid, yep, it's hung cool. so low. <laughs> yes. uh, whereas Aram, the dark, edgy warlock, has completely adopted into the role of fatherhood and having an emotional weakness, which, Mm. which is really what it is. It's a, it's a weakness Mm -hmm. and he has not eliminated it from his life and he has changed uh, and he's having a different arc. And both of these characters are awesome to have in a game. What about, uh, what else? What's what makes a good character? What about game masters specifically? Because a lot of what we talked about is either player facing or applies to both. What should game masters, uh, also take into consideration for npcs especially uh the villains
0: well i mean motivation is obviously a big one yep. big 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 one because if you build a good motivation for a character as an npc it, it's going to make it a lot easier for you to react to the uh react to the player's behavior if, if you need to if you if you don't know what your npc wants you're going to be thrown for a loop almost any time that the players do anything you didn't anticipate. Right. Yeah. Because, because you have to know how that character would react. Um, I, I, think it also helps, especially when you're talking about villains to have a relatable
1: backstory to them. That's true. You, you have a, uh, this is something you have done that even I haven't done, which is actually write short stories for bad guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they the players will never see them.
0: Yeah, so sometimes... Well, and, and for me, that's a part of the creative process. Like, I want to have that fleshed out back... And, and I don't do this for all my NPCs. Don't get me wrong. This, I don't have that kind of The time. cool,
1: important ones. But yeah, the
0: important ones, the big, bad, evil guys, the, the ones that are really going to help drive the story forward, it really pays dividends to have kind of a backstory for them. Because that backstory, for me, helps me inform those motivations.
1: And yeah, and you mean an actual two to three page backstory yep. mm-hmm. yeah not, okay. not just something that you not just bullet points that you came up with in your head you you wrote and you write actual backstories oh, for at, villains i do i do yeah. tend to
0: do that because i think and and like you said the players may never find it out but it, with like victor for example you've been kind of drip feeding the group little background information about him which i find fascinating yeah. i enjoy that quite a bit you know, the more Aram finds out, the more he's going to use it to exploit Victor's weaknesses because that's how Aram is as a character. But even when I was playing Tusk, finding that information out as a player, even if Tusk didn't care as much as a character, I cared as a player because right. I found it to be very interesting. Um, having a background for your, your NPCs, it it helps you. I, I think I think as a GM, it helps you to understand the motivations. It understands the why. Um. And if the players ever catch wind of it, especially if you can have one of those kind of pseudo-sympathetic backstories... Oh, yeah. Then what it does is it, it makes that, that NPC more than just a cookie-cutter cartoon villain.
1: Yeah. If you are trying to make a villain and you want them to be... Uh, if you want to have emotional impact, make your, your villain sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Often the case to do... Often the way to do that is to make them do evil things for what they think is good reasons. Yeah. And... And usually you can find a reason that at least half the party is going to agree well, with. You know, Whether it be because they're doing evil things because they want it, they think that they're mm-hmm. saving the world. Or they're doing it for love or to save their family. Mm-hmm. You know, all these things that Everyone you might Everyone is the hero of their own story. Exactly. Everyone is the hero of their own story. Even you're, the villains.
0: Your big bad evil guy could be an absolute monstrosity. But in his own head, he is the
1: hero of his own tale. He is yeah. doing what he is doing. Because he thinks... A perfect example of this, if you've ever played Borderlands, is Handsome Jack. Borderlands mm-hmm. is a video game, and Handsome Jack believes he's the hero to the point that he calls the player characters the bad guys. Yeah, he Calls them bandits. He refers to them as bandits. Ba- and I mean, he's a
0: colossal jerk. He absolutely is. Real. But in his own mind, everything that he is doing is for this this perceived greater good of his. And I mean, you could take a completely insane NPC... Oh yeah. That, but as long as that NPC believes what they are doing is is uh, you know for the greater good, that is going to inform a lot of their their behaviors. And as soon as the players kind of figure that out, that's going to help the players to identify with
1: that villain in some capacity. Oh yes. Uh, and now that I think about it, use existing content. Like this is something you'll hear. Uh, um, separate from other hobbies, in this hobby, you are encouraged to rip off trademarked and copyrighted things for your home game. Don't do it and then publish it. But for your home (laughs) game with you and your four buddies, if you want to, uh, you know, go into the old temple and retrieve a lost artifact from a divine being, and there (laughs) is a giant rock that chases them down a hallway, that's totally okay. But... Uh, do it and then put some of your own weird spins mm-hmm. on it. And you can apply that same concept to villains. If you're playing sci-fi and you want this dark cloaked uh, evil evil guy with a energy sword and mystic powers, you know, look no further than Darth Vader in Star Wars. But then put your own spin mm-hmm. on Darth Vader. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong with taking inspiration from existing media. Exactly. In tabletop gaming, do it. And even better is if you can find existing media that your players don't know about. Mm-hmm. So then they just think you came up with it all on your own. <laughs> I've done that. I've done absolutely. A lot of that. You know, uh, every if you're if you're gonna have your players. Uh, Take a ring to a volcano, and there's like four halflings, a human, a dwarf, and an elf, and then and some change, and a wizard. That's a pretty obvious ripoff. But not everyone has read The Black Company, so then you you rip off something from The Black Company. Or uh, these days, a lot of people have not read uh, that I know the Elric the Elric novels. Rip off something from that. Did you know in D and uh, D fifth edition there is a famous sword? That is straight up a ripoff of a book sword, and then it ended up getting like published in official content. <laughs> nice. And so D and D itself has a history of ripping things mm. off. Halflings used to get called hobbits. Yep. Treants used to be called Ents until the uh, the estate that controls Tolkien's uh, IP not, they turned like <laughs> to TSR and said, <clears throat> "Excuse me." Yep. <laughs> so I mean,
0: think about if you think about it, everything in the fantasy genre is derivative of Tolkien in a lot of ways. Yeah, everything
1: and, in the eldritch horror genre is derivative uh-huh. of H.P. Lovecraft at this point. And, I mean, he,
0: even Tolkien is actually derivative of a lot of old, like... Uh, folklore and myths. Po- polytheistic, religious uh,
1: tales. Yeah, the poetic... Et- uh, yeah, I was um, going to say, a lot Irish folklore. Of, b-
0: believe it or not, a lot of what made up The Lord of the Rings had to do with Norse mythology. Yeah. The elves and the dwarves and stuff like that. We were pretty pretty early, you know, parts of, of Norse mythology.
1: I remember I was trying to use, uh, like, an Old Norse translator or Old G- High German. It was one of those two. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to come up with a cool name for, like, Ironwalled City. And you know what I got? Isengard. <laughs> so it turns out, yeah. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> and
0: I mean, and and I don't think that it's a big secret. I mean, I, I know that Tolkien knew where he got this stuff oh, from, he, yeah, and yeah, I don't the think he was the first it. to tell you, from what I understand. Yeah, you know, and, and that's fine, because
1: that's, I mean pretty much there are pretty much no new ideas anymore I mean (laughs) yeah and that's just kind of the way the brain works too Mm -hmm. like every every new idea you have is built upon uh, built upon your previous knowledge well
0: you might come up with something that you think is a new idea and it turns out that it's just some artifact of some thing that you read 20 years ago that you forgot that you read or you don't remember where the idea originally came from and then when it bounces back into your skull you're like oh man this is cool this is
1: a great idea it's new or someone beats you to publishing the idea (laughs) yeah because there are 7 billion of us or and and counting on this planet it's really hard to be original and you shouldn't fret too much don't don't beat yourself up don't beat yourself up by making derivative content if you strain to be completely original you're gonna start tearing your hair out Mm -hmm. so just take existing ideas and put interesting spins on them make them your own yeah make them your own um i think it's uh i think uh i think it's monty cook do you know who that is? No, that name is super familiar. Uh, he used to be a designer on uh, Dungeons and Dragons, okay. and now he is in charge of Monte Cook Games. Uh, they, they are famous primarily for like the uh, the Cipher system and Numenera. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, he has a. I, I remember reading the front pages of Numenera, uh, which is another book I have mm-hmm. and have not run, but. I think in it I don't remember verbatim so I'm gonna paraphrase but he talks about the three steps of weird so if you're <laughs> if you're trying to uh, make something unique uh, you you try and escalate it three times with three unique uh, interesting spins on it mm. so rather than so it's like oh you've got a, a village of... tribal society. Oh, but also they're raven people. Oh, but also they have a third eye on their forehead. Oh, and the third thing is with their third eye they can see energy or something like Mm -hmm. that. There's something like that. That feels a
0: lot more unique than the original idea because you added some stuff to it.
1: A lot of uh, existing designers have little snippets of advice out there and just be a sponge and absorb that mm-hmm. advice. Uh, I can parrot some of their advice off to you, but whether you get it from me or straight from the horse's mouth, uh, listen, pay attention, and then implement these things because just like science and math and art and culture, this hobby is also built upon the shoulders of giants. Yep. So take inspiration from what has come before, uh, We've uh, and you can make incredibly interesting Interesting characters, whether they be NPCs or villains, uh, your player characters uh, that you might be running. Uh, I I have a personal pet peeve, actually, that I'm going to bring up now. Sure, do it. Um, you can totally be inspired, but your game master might not appreciate it if you show up and your character is just straight up named Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> Personally, it takes me out yeah, of the experience. I, it,
0: I, I, I'm the same way. Like, it's fine to take inspiration and to make a derivative character. But if you're just photocopying, you know, Dritz or some other character from some other. Yeah, good example. Yeah, I was going to say, I guarantee you that there are a thousand GMs out there right now that are like, why does this character, why does this player keep bringing me this, you know, dual wielding. Uh, <laughs> this dual wielding uh, drow? Yeah, why, why is this a thing? <laughs> why are we still doing this? And it's not because you can't make a cool dual wielding drow. <laughs> right. It's because you read the novels and you thought, I want to be this guy. Yeah. Don't be that guy. Be, that be the gu- guy that was inspired by that guy. Exactly. Be that guy, Mark II. Yeah, like like be the kid that that guy bumped into during one of his adventures and decided I want to grow up to be like him.
1: Right. Like, like you said, make it your own. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: I think another thing that can uh, make for some interesting characters is, uh, oh, here's something that you don't need to do to be an interesting character. Uh, a lot of people will say, uh, I have my own friends that say, no, no, you. I prefer it this way, but you don't need to do a funny voice. No, <laughs> you you do not have to do the accent. Uh, a lot of role playing is just making decisions that the character would make instead of you. I but well, I, I think that voices can be really fun and funny. Voices
0: they... are super fun, but I think a lot of people get hung up on the idea that they have to do a voice. They do so every character. Instead of saying, "Okay, well, this is my character," and and having a good, cool, fleshed out background and. And having a concept, they're like, "What manner of voice am I going to give them?" Yeah, and then they're just they're like, "Well, I'll either make them have a German accent or a Russian accent or whatever." Not because it was required, not because it even necessarily fits the character. Yeah, because but they because feel like they, they need to feel do voice. like they need to do a voice. You don't need to. You if, do not. If you think the character would be fitting with a voice and you're capable of doing the voice, you don't do that. But don't feel like you have to shoehorn a voice into the character. It's not going to be necessary.
1: Uh, another thing about creating characters is, one th- if you know anything about the hero's journey, or like good characters in literature and movies, uh, you know that good characters struggle. So you should be accepting and open to the idea that your character has flaws. Because having flaws makes for a good character. Overcoming adversity, rather than just being a Mary Sue and just being good at everything they do right off the bat, uh, shows that this person is willing to persevere they have the capacity to grow and change and adapt you want this character to have flaws because that's something that's interesting if your character is good at everything in a team game then why why is there a team and you right? know that's that was a,
0: that was a, a mistake that I tried to make with Aram in his initial build I wanted to give him a spell for every situation yeah. Because I didn't want to have to expect the rest of the party.
1: <laughs> yeah, before we before we ever started playing Fifth Edition, like mm-hmm. read for real, you were trying to figure out how you could get like one of every cantrip, yeah, or something like that. I so was, you, so I, you could do every damage. I, I was type. taking
0: feats that would allow me to buff out my cantrips. I chose the uh, the spell book as my patron. Bobs because, because i got extra cantrips three more cantrips i'd mean, can be wrong the 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 ritual spells are way more valuable than the cantrips were but at the time i wasn't really paying a lot of attention to that and when i went through and did his his build because I, I like to build out my characters like i'll put together spreadsheets and plan yes. these guys all the way out to level 20 um and i i struggled a lot because i was like i need him to be able to do everything don't do that <laughs> you forgot <laughs> it was a team yeah game. D- don't be lance
1: <laughs> Remember that
0: you have an entire party at your disposal, and if you play nice with them, you can probably get them to do things for you that you couldn't do yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is uh, which brings up a good point. Um, you can, because you were worried about the mechanics of your character. Yeah. you had this. You were willing to make a deal with an eldritch entity. Yep. <laughs> well, and that was, so you could let. That's that's something you can do. Is. Let the mechanics of your character Mechanics being the, the way your character Interfaces with the rules Let the mechanics of your character Inform who your character is And vice versa yep. Whether you are playing in a system Where it's better to roll for stats first uh, Or whether you have a concept in mind You shouldn't You shouldn't say Hey, never ever, never ever be the guy Who's like, oh, I think I'll be The dedicated healer of the group but then you pick a class that is focused around turning into a bear and charging into the front lines, right? Yeah, <laughs> you don't know who you are. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, don't say I'm going to play the hacker and then only take uh, a pistol skill and first aid abilities. Yeah, right. You. Bring the whole package together by working with the other players. If you're the game master, make your NPCs cohesive. You know, try, if you have a gang of bandits, have uh, the strong one. It's okay to fill those archetypes. Yeah. Have the big strong ha- have one. Have ta- the have the weaselly one.
0: Yep. Ha- have a tank in there. Have some guys with some ranged abilities and stuff like that too. Oh yeah,
1: we could we could do an entire <laughs> episode on designing your npc groups for combat encounters. and probably will at yeah, some we'll, point we'll do that and we'll <laughs> touch on that in the future maybe next episode but um for the time being um keep in mind that you can just rip off existing content whether it's whether it's uh your favorite book novel tv show uh, anything like that, uh, know that you can work with the other people in your cooperative tabletop role-playing game to build interesting characters. Just take the extra steps to make them or make them your own, so that and give them interesting motivations. And when I say interesting motivations, it's okay to play a mercenary who wants money, but think about why he wants that money. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you've got. Uh, I often think about. Uh, for those who don't know it, there's a an anime called Cowboy Bebop, and. There's an episode, I think it's like two or three or four. It's very early in the show. Uh, the main character, Spike, meets a guy who is working for this gang. And he steals from them this incredibly rare flower, but he does it. He puts himself in this danger, not for monetary greed, but because this flower is the primary ingredient in a cure for an illness that his sister has. Mm-hmm. And that is just, ugh, tearjerker right there.
0: Well, not only that, but if, if you have players like that or NPCs like that, you know, when you put these things together, it's, those kind of things are going to help drive a story more than just throwing boatloads of gold at them. Absolutely. And, I mean, it, in most fantasy settings, an adventure given a long enough period of time gets so ungodly rich that, that money can't be their motivation for what they're doing because they would just open a bar and retire somewhere. But on the other hand, if they have a family member with a rare illness that can only be cured by a flower that grows inside of the lair of this dragon, yeah. then they're going to they're going to do whatever they can to gain the power necessary to kill that dragon to get that flower in order to 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 really, you know, l- sink home that motivation and get it done. Don't
1: as the pl- make sure as the player that you give your game master enough carrots. For them to dangle on a stick in front of your character. Mm -hmm. Because that's going to make it easier for the game master to prep the game. And it's going to make it more interesting when your character gets to pursue personal goals and bring their buddies along for the ride. Accomplishing a personal goal is so much more
0: satisfying for a character than just getting money.
1: Yeah, Like like loot and treasure hordes. It only goes so far. Yeah, A lot of games start off with that concept, but no game... I would say very few, if any games run from levels one to 20, With the motivation with of money just, still being, Yeah, a, with just yeah, no, get money. Never. it it get, get old real fast. Yeah. So take all of that into account and stride forward because grognak says it's last call. And I hope you've enjoyed your time with us here today. I hope the, the hearth has kept you warm and you've enjoyed your beverage, whether it was uh, alcoholic or age appropriate. And you don't need, you don't need to drink alcoholic beverages, uh, regardless, uh, I want to stress that if you want more of us, keep your ears and eyes peeled on Google podcast, uh, Apple podcast, YouTube, Spotify. I personally listen to podcasts on Spotify as much as possible. Uh, we are not sponsored by Spotify. We are, but br- <laughs> we are brought to you by the record button production group, who you can find on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as YouTube, where these videos are uploaded. There is the record, uh, Specifically, recordbuttongroup.com, and then there's actually a merch store. We don't have merch yet, but for the other shows, there's trbmerchstore.threadless.com. If you want to email Lance and I, uh, you can email us things about the Game Master Speakeasy at, at gmail.com. Uh, I think that about wraps it up, Lance. You got anything else you want to say? No, man, I think we're good. All right. Well, then all all I have to say is to all of our viewers, uh, can't wait to see you next time you're here, and please get home safe. See ya.